tonight, as we look into uh, our book, Continue, uh, we will talk about salvation, all right? Uh, on page 75 is where we will begin. And again, I want to thank you for being here tonight. Um, and looking forward to tonight. Tonight is a, is a great lesson. I know um, every, most everybody, if not everybody in here tonight, uh, is saved. And if you've caught upon Jesus, you've trusted in Him as your Savior. And so you may wonder why we, why are we looking at salvation if I'm already saved? Well, there's some principles that we need to know about it, some things we uh, need to know. Uh, but with this uh, comes, uh, as we're saved, Satan does everything he can to stop us. Yes. He's going he's to attack us in every way, and many times... He will make us question, make us doubt, make us really think hard uh, on uh, what we believe and even our salvation. So there's some things in here that are good for us to know. Uh, and we'll take a look more about this in, in a few minutes. But uh, you may say, well, I, I've never really doubted or thought about uh, my salvation or, or questioned it. Well, I've received a lot of questions about this. So if you haven't personally, take note because somebody that you come in contact with, may need help with these things, okay? So they're very important as we look at salvation, right? Our key verse tonight, uh, Romans eight sixteen, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Oh, what a great verse. What a great verse. We are the children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your Lord, countless blessings. Lord, I thank you so much for just what you've done uh, in the hearts and lives of, of the people in this room, the Lord, even in the, 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 just the short few weeks that we've been in here together, dear Lord, doing this class. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, uh, likewise tonight, Lord, work in hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth, that we would be receptive to what you want to teach us tonight. Lord, I ask that you would... Lord, uh, speak through me, dear Lord. May every word come from your throne room, dear Lord. Everything done come from you. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, Lord, get the glory out of it all. Help us to lift you up tonight and praise your name. And in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So we think back to the moment that we trusted in Christ. That one moment, we may not, there may be some things that we don't remember. But we all should remember, wherever, kneeling down or whatever the circumstances was of asking Jesus into your heart. I don't remember a whole lot about the day I was saved. I was six years old. Uh, it was in the summer. Um, I know by, by math that was 1992. And um, I have no idea what month it was, what day it was, what day of the week it was. As six years old, none of that really mattered, you know. Uh, so, um, but I do remember beginning to ask my parents some questions. And I also remember my dad taking me up to his bedroom. And on the, on the, in the side of his bedroom, there was a desk there where he would study and make his sermon preparations. And he opened up his Bible on that desk and he showed me John 3.16 and he explained what that meant. To where it became real to me that I needed Jesus, my Savior. 
I'd have been in Sunday school. I'd heard about it, but it was becoming real. And he was telling me that, that I, I, I've messed up and I've made mistakes and I've sinned against God and I needed a Savior or I was going to go to hell. And I remember turning around, kneeling on my parents' bed and asking Jesus into my heart. I remember, I remember very few things about that day, but that, that one occasion I do remember. There's, when we think of, of, of our salvation, we think back and it was a moment when we trusted Christ. And we may not remember everything, but we're going to remember a few things. So, so some, some highlights for us to uh, know about our salvation. We see on page 76 that we have passed from darkness to light. We see this in Acts 26, 18. And Luke here is making reference to Jesus talking. And he says this, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What a powerful verse. Here at the moment of salvation, we have been taken from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto the power of God. We have received forgiveness. We have received an inheritance all by our faith in one person, and that is Jesus. What a wonderful verse. We see here, not only have we passed from darkness to light, but we are born again. When Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, he said, Except a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. We see that we've been redeemed or bought back. And Peter talked about this in, in uh, chapter 1. He was saying uh, um, that we're not redeemed by materialistic things such as gold and silver or anything else materialistic. But when we get to verse 19, we're redeemed uh, with the blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Yes, we were not bought back with anything on this world, but we were bought back with the precious blood of Jesus. No blemish, no spot. Perfect. So we've passed from darkness to light. We are born again. We are redeemed or brought back. And also, here's a, here's a great one. We are adopted into God's family. Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We've been adopted. We've received the Holy Spirit, which is pretty much our adoption into the, the, the family of God. So we take all these things, being passed from darkness to light, being born again, being redeemed, being adopted into God's family. And at the bottom of page 76, you see this. All of these things, all of that took place at the moment you called on the Lord for salvation. All of that, all these things we just talked about, from darkness to light, from being born again, being redeemed, adopting the family of God, all of that took place at that one moment of salvation. We're going to take a look here through this lesson on salvation, answer some questions. Can I lose my salvation? What if I don't feel saved? Is there anything that I should do now that I'm saved? 
We're going to take a look at this. On page 77, the first one is, can I lose my salvation? Here's a big question uh, uh, that people have. You may have had these questions, so here's the answer. If you've not, here's the answer in case somebody asks you, all right? So so make note because these are very popular uh, things and questions that we're taking a look at. Can I lose my salvation? On page 77, sometimes after a person trusts Christ as Savior, they begin to worry that maybe something they do wrong will make them lose the promise of eternal life. Lose the promise of eternal life. Thankfully, it is not possible to ever lose your salvation. It is not possible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is not possible to lose salvation. A few reasons why God's gift is forever. God's gift is forever. God has given us a gift and it is ours to keep. Not to give back, not to return, to keep. We have it forever. And it's a gift of eternal life. John, Jesus here talking in John 10, 28, 29, and he says, I give unto them eternal life. So he's giving it. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Never, key words, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So, as you all know, I try to, as I explained, I try to picture things in my head a little bit. So here's how I picture this, all right? See if I can help illustrate it. Jesus says, look, you're right here. And I'm going to hold you in there and nothing or nobody is ever going to open my hand. And I'll give you this promise just in case there ever was anything. My father who created everything and is greater than all, he took his hand and went over like that. So no one's going to take you out of my hand and there definitely ain't no one going to take you out of my father's hand. You are there to stay. No man. God's gift is forever. And we see this, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By definition of just eternal life, it can never end. Once you get it, it is never going to end. And description of this, we see that this means that describing it, there is a point in which it starts and it keeps on going forever. You know, different words can have kind of different descriptive, descriptive patterns. You know, I ate today. That happened at a point in time. I maybe, I can say, I ran for an hour. You know, that happened over a length of time. But eternal life is something that's going to happen. It's going to start at a point when you get it. When you said, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. Cleanse me of my sin. At a point it started, and it's going to keep on going and never end. Never end. It's yours forever. John 5, 24. 
Jesus tells us, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on me, on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. You have everlasting life, and there is no way that you will ever receive or come into condemnation. It's not going to happen because we have the gift. It's free. It cannot be taken back. It is ours to possess for all eternity. We have it. So, God's gift is forever. We cannot lose our salvation. Another reason, our relationship is sure. When we become, when we, we trust in Christ our Savior, we become a part of God's family. It's a relationship, and it's for sure. There is nothing that we can ever do that will make God disown us. Nothing. John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Nothing we could ever do will make God disown us. I want, I want to, you to understand this. There is a special relationship between a father and a child. And that will never, ever end. So, I want you to understand this. Pastor, come here for just a moment. I picked on him because everybody knows him. He's the pastor, right? <laughs> pastor, go ahead and turn around. Here's our handsome-looking pastor, right? <laughs> he has a son, Corey. Corey's going to come here. He's on his way. Now, there is not a thing that Corey can ever do to not be his son. Don't you forget it. No matter <laughs> whether he wants it or not, he is always going to be pastor's son. Now, by way of example, let's say, come here, Brother Andrew. Let's say Pastor adopted Andrew. Once that. Pro- <laughs> Good luck. Once, once the process is complete, there is nothing that Andrew will ever be able to do to not be his son. The Bible says that there's God the Father. God the Son, and we become co-inheritors with Jesus. So when that process is complete, the process of salvation, we're adopted, the adoption papers become final. There is nothing that we can ever do to where he's not our dad anymore. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. The relationship is for sure. When God stamps approval on our salvation as being part of His family, no one or nothing can change that. We have an eternal relationship with God the Father. 
On page 78, our relationship is sure. We have a security deposit. A security deposit. Many times when we're buying something, something big, uh, the, the seller is going to want a security deposit to, so that way as the paperwork's done, we have some tie to that to it becoming ours. Nobody wants to lose their security deposit, right? So you're going to make sure you follow through with whatever it is to get whatever it is you're buying. We have a security deposit with Jesus. It's in his word. He's paid the price. So we get that inheritance. Let me show you here. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. We've been sealed. We've been secured by the Holy Spirit to where we have a home in heaven. Let me give you another verse. Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Because here's what's going to happen. When Jesus hits the guy, blows the trumpet, and when everybody starts going, the Holy Spirit's going back. If he's in us and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we're going with him. Because when Jesus comes back for his own, the Holy Spirit's going. We're going with him. Holy Spirit ain't going to be here anymore. That's why the tribulation's coming. Because the Holy Spirit ain't going to be here. Man's free to do what they want. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and we have that promise. In the middle of page 78, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. You are sealed by Him. So can you do, I'm sorry, so can you lose your salvation? No. Paul Chapel says a thousand times no. There's no way to lose your salvation. We'll see this again, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now. It makes a good point. If there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, because we can't, then there's absolutely nothing we can do to lose our salvation. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. It's a gift we receive. So our second question, we, we've seen, uh, can I lose my salvation now? What if I don't feel saved? A big question. I've been asked several times, many times, this question. Sometimes our emotions don't match reality. Emotions don't match reality. Sometimes emotions can lie to us. Human flesh sometimes can lie to us. They can tell us things that aren't so. You ever been worried about something? You call up somebody and say, did, did this happen? Or is this, did I make you mad? Did, this, did, did I offend you in some way? I know. Our emotions can lie to us. It's not always reality. So we must be careful. See, because uh, just because we may not feel saved or we have doubts doesn't mean we're not saved. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Eve was just walking through the garden one day, and along came Satan. Hey, what did God say about that tree? He's bringing up questions that cause doubt. 
Those questions may enter your mind. Satan likes to to confuse people and bring about questions that are not reality. Yeah, but do you deserve it? How, if, how can you really be saved if you don't deserve it? You're not good enough. You've messed up. Well, of course we have, but that's not the point. See, that's the lies of Satan. He's trying to bring up our past, bring up mistakes we've made, bring up things to make us think that we're not good enough. Well, the truth is, yes, we're not. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't uh, pass by uh, or overlook God's gift to us. So when he starts doing that, claim the promise of Jesus. I have eternal life. It is a gift for me. I have a relationship with my father. He gave me the security deposit by sending his Holy Spirit into my life. Satan's going to send questions. Listen, if Satan went to the Garden of Eden to confuse the first man and the first woman, And if Satan went to earth and tempted Jesus, the Son of God himself, he's definitely going to come after us. I don't know why he felt the need to go tempt the Son of God, but that was pretty foolish, tempting the Son of God. But he did. So if he's going to be that bold, he's definitely going to come after us. And he's going to raise questions. And he's going to try to bring doubt. Don't let him. Don't let him. Claim the promises of God. Listen, at, at the end, while I'm talking about it, I know we're, I'm kind of on a trail here, but let me just finish, all right? If you look in Luke chapter 4, talking about Satan tempting Jesus, at the end of the, this story, at the end of the account, Luke says, and Satan left Jesus for a season. What does that mean? That crazy nut was foolish enough to come back. He said, yeah, I didn't get him today. Maybe I'll get him tomorrow. Really? I don't understand it, but he tried. All that, if he's going to do that with Jesus, he's going to do it with us. So we have to claim the promises. We have to know the scripture. Yes, Our emotions are not going to feel reality. And we may not feel saved some days because sin separates us from God. It it puts a wedge. It creates a gap. But that does not escape the promise that we are saved. At the very bottom of the page, God wants you to have assurance of your salvation, knowing that you are his child. God wants you to have assurance of your salvation. So some different ways that we can have this assurance. We have assurance because of God's promises. Top of page 79. We have assurance because of God's promises. God promised that anyone who calls on him for salvation shall, not might, shall be saved. I want you to understand this. Well, let's read the verse. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word shall is a strong word. It is 
Definitely going to happen. No ifs, ands, or buts. You know, we can use the, we can kind of talk about tomorrow, you know, I plan to do this, I'm going to do that. I will be going to Walmart tomorrow, but there's still a chance with the word will that it might not happen. Something might come up and it might not happen. But the word shall is not like the word will. The word shall is a promise. If it's in shall, that means it is definitely going to happen. No way around it. No excuses. It is definitely going to come to pass. It's going to be fulfilled. It's going to be a reality. So here, when we see whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that means you have a promise. You call on his name, and it is going to be a reality. It's going to happen. The God who has promised to give us eternal life is a God who cannot lie. Paul tells us this, talking to Titus in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. If if there's only one thing that God cannot do, it's lie. So we have assurance because of God's promises. We also have assurance because of God's presence. As mentioned before, the moment that we ask Christ to become our Savior, to save our soul, to cleanse us from our sin, the Holy Spirit took up residence in in us. He took up residence. This gives us assurance that we have a relationship with God because we have His Spirit living inside of us. Our key verse tells us this, Romans 8.16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. He's there. He's with us. His Spirit with our spirit together right here. That we are the children of God. The only way that the Holy Spirit comes and bears witness with our spirit is that we become a child of God. Now here's the danger. The danger is that in our life, because of of human flesh and us having the choice, we do have the capability of resisting the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's a danger. We can refuse to listen. And if we refuse to listen, then we're not going to hear the Holy Spirit assuring us that we are God's children, that we have salvation. Christians doubt their salvation because they have blocked the voice of the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you this way? Don't block the Holy Spirit. Paul said, quench not the Spirit. Oh, don't quench him. Don't block him. Don't stop him. Paul also said, in trying to encourage Timothy, to allow him free course in our life, allow him free reign. We have it a little bit backwards sometimes because of human flesh, because we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Sometimes we say, stop, I'll do it my way. When it's to be the other way around. I'm not going to stop here. I want you to come here, Lord, and I want you to do what it is you want to do in my life and through my life. 
Let him have free reign over us. Don't block him. Don't quench him. Let him do what he wants to do. This keeps our relationship good and knowing we are saved if we let the Holy Spirit just do what he wants to do. He's getting his orders from God the Father, from God the Son. So why would we stop a person working in us who gets his orders from the throne room of heaven? From the the Almighty God. Let him do what he wants to do. On to page number 80. We have assurance because of God's promises and because of God's presence. We also have assurance because of God's love. We have assurance because of God's love. There is absolutely nothing we or any other person or thing can do to separate us from our Heavenly Father's love. Absolutely nothing. No matter what mistakes a child makes, a parent will never stop loving their child. Just as I showed you up here a few minutes ago with Pastor Corey and Andrew, there is nothing that either one of them could ever do the biological son or the adopted son, neither one could ever do to not be his parent. And the parent will never stop loving them, even no matter what mistake it is. The Bible tells us this. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses here so you all just bear with me, but they're all so important. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for thy slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. I noticed this this afternoon as I was reading this verse. He says in verse 39, shall be able. Not that it just, uh, that, that it didn't want to, but nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that we can ever do. It's not that it's just God's choice. It's that nothing ever can separate us from God's love. That's a magnificent promise. I've got God's love, and that's never going to go away. Understand that for just a minute. I've got, you've got God's love, and that will never, ever go away. No one, nothing can ever take it. We have assurance because of God's love. We also have assurance because of God's work in our lives. When we trust Christ our Savior, we become a new person because of God's work in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Everything in my life has just become new because I have chosen to have Christ as my Savior. 
God has a specific work that he wants to do in you. And he's got to do it in you before he can do it through you. I also believe God's got a specific work he wants to do through you. You say, how do you believe that? Well, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Not really, but just you just understand. Jeremiah talks about the potter and the clay. He went down to the potter's house. The potter said, I'm going to take this clay and make it again another vessel. A useful vessel. See, it become, it become marred. It become broken. But the potter knew exactly what to do to the clay to make it useful again. We've all been broken by sin. But God has something special for each and every one of us. And before we, become, we can become useful, He's got to repair us and make us a useful vessel again. Jeremiah talks about sin as a broken cistern that can't hold any water. We don't want to be that way. We want the potter to make us again a useful vessel. Allow him to work and make us to what he wants us to be so then he can use us for his glory, just as the potter did with the clay. God wants to, as Peter said, God wants to see us grow, that we may grow. Uh, John talks about uh, loving our brethren, loving our brothers. And this is how God works in our lives. And he's going to work to develop all these things in our lives, and it's going to go from the inside out. Opposite of how human nature works and how human, human nature sees it, but God's going to, to develop our lives from the inside out. That is assurance that he's working in our lives. So we've seen God's promise, presence, his love, his work. We have assurance, page 81. We have assurance because of God's chastening. Because of God's chastening. I mentioned this earlier, but let me say it again because right now it's very important to mention it as well. Since we cannot earn salvation by anything we do, there's nothing that we could do to lose our salvation either. We have it. We've got it forever. It's, it's not okay. Understand this. It's not okay just because we have salvation for us to continue in sin without caring. That's not okay. So here's where the chastening and the correction comes in. Because the fact is, as a loving Heavenly Father, God corrects us when we sin. In fact, as a loving Heavenly Father, God corrects us when we sin. And that correction is proof that we are His children. He corrects us because He wants to use us. He wants us to be the best we can be for Him. So he's going to correct us and he's going to chasten us so that we live for him to the best that we possibly can. Hebrews talks about this. In Hebrews 12, verse number 6, he said, the writer says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son 
whom he receiveth. So if he, he, he chastens us because he loves us. Understand that. It's out of love. Not out of being hurtful or, or, or mean or angry, but it's because he loves us. Likewise, a few verses down in verse number 10, Hebrews 12, 10. For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. God is doing this. He's correcting us. He's chasing us. It's for our benefit so that we can be partakers of his holiness. When he corrects us, when he makes a change in our lives, it's so that we can be more like him. Who doesn't want to be more like God? Who doesn't want to be more like Jesus? We all would raise our hands and say, yes, I want to be more like Jesus. Well, there's going to be some correction involved because he's got to get this old flesh out of the way so he can work and make us holy. So we have assurance because he chastens us. The very fact that God corrects us when we sin is done with the goal of restoring our fellowship with him and gives us assurance that we belong to him. The very bottom of page 81. So we see God wants us to not only be saved, but to have assurance of of our salvation, to have absolute confidence in our hearts, that we have a sure relationship with Him. What all this is saying is no doubts. You have confidence in your salvation, no doubts. Not one. Not one question that I'm a child of God. I know that I know that I know I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. Now, Can I lose my salvation? Was the first question. What if I don't feel saved? Was the second question. The third one, we said we look at, is there anything I should do? The third question, why on page 82, why should I be baptized? We had 10 baptized this morning. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. But here's some truths about it, okay? Baptism is an exciting step of obedience after you are saved because it is an outward expression of your inward decision. Now understand this. It it has no part in salvation. No part. I want to make that very clear. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism is... Not to, be, uh, not to be associated. It's not a step in salvation. It is the first step after salvation done by obedience. It is, it is a, a, one of the first ways or the very first way that we demonstrate we want to obey God. That we want to have that relationship with Him. John 15, 14 says, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. He says, look, you want to obey. You want to follow these commands. So again, it has no part in salvation. By following the Lord in believer's baptism, you are obeying Christ and showing others that you are glad He is your Savior. Are you glad He's your Savior? The first step is baptism. Some other important things to notice about baptism. Baptism is an identification. 
The Bible teaches that baptism is a symbol, as I said, of an outward expression of an inward decision or even an inward change. Baptism identifies a person, a Christian, with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's identification with Christ. And here's, here's uh, a good way of looking at it, okay? Good symbolism in baptism because the top of the water crosses your body as the cross that Jesus died on, saying, I'm putting to death this old man. I'm putting to death my sin. You lay out under the water, you're now horizontal, just as Christ laid horizontal in the tomb. I put to death the sin, I'm burying the sin. Then you raise up upright and come out of the water as Jesus walked out of the tomb. The symbolism is wonderful. A perfect picture of the change inside of us. On page 83, baptism not only an identification, but it's for every Christian. Baptism is for every Christian. It simply shows on the outside what Jesus has already done on the inside. Important reasons to be baptized. Number one, Christ commands it. When he was telling his disciples to go out and sending them out with the Great Commission, he said, go and baptize. It's a command. It's not a if you want to, if you feel like it. It's a command to be baptized. Another important reason is Jesus set the example. Remember, in in, uh, Matthew 3, we have one account of it. Jesus going to be baptized by John the Baptist. And also the apostles and their early church leaders baptized. And they practiced it. And they gladly uh, did so. So, it's commanded that there's an example. And the early church practiced it. It's for every Christian. And we should be baptized. At the bottom of page 83, baptism should be by immersion. The word baptized comes from... Greek word baptizo, which means to plunge or to dunk. So I was reading a little bit about this this afternoon. There's another Greek word called bapto that also uh, um, has a very uh, unique meaning as well. So there's bapto and baptizo. Both are to baptize. Both are to immerse. Completely dunk it. But there's a little bit of difference in the word, okay? So understand this. Babto, and both relate to the process of pickling. So you take your vegetable, you'd bapto, you'd dip it in hot water, a temporary dip, real quick. 
And then you would sit it in whatever the solution you wanted to. And it would stay there for a while. The babto is that quick dip in boiling water to make a temporary change, just real quick. Baptizo is when you put it in the solution to make a change in how it tastes. <laughs> in our Bible, guess which word it is? Baptizo. Because we're taking that dip in the water, signifying a permanent change. Ain't that something? God, God, in the very meaning of words, helped describe what it means to be baptized. Yes, it's a quick dunk in the water, but it is signifying a permanent change in our lives. I've got something new. I've got something that's permanently changed, and it is forever settled in my life. Baptizo. So baptism is by immersion. It's not we have this it's not sprinkling, okay? That's not even sort of kind of close to the definition. Has nothing to do with the process of salvation. So we see an example here in a couple examples in our Bible of Immersion being practiced, okay? In Mark 1.10, speaking of Jesus and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him, coming up out of the water, which means he had to be completely in the water. Also in Acts chapter 8, Luke writes, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Coming from the word baptizo. And when they were come up out of the water, up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. It's very clear. Scripture's always clear. Remember, I told you at the very beginning that God is always very specific to every detail. It's very clear what God intended with baptism to be in the water, immersed. On the bottom of page 84, baptism should take place soon after salvation. In our Bible, we see most of the time it play, takes place right after salvation. Many times they go, they, they go together because a person newly saved would want to obey immediately in that first step. We must do this, though. A person who's going to be baptized we don't just want to grab them. Oh, you've been saved. Let's grab you and throw you in the water. They need to understand the process and what they're, what they're doing. So explanation must be given to the evangelist so they understand what happens, what is happening, and follow through with their desire to obey God. Okay? We want to obey God, but that individual's got to express they want to obey God. But an explanation must be given. These principles must be given so a, a person who has just been saved understands this is obedience and this is to happen and this is how we obey God. Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Those who have accepted Christ were baptized. And the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. 
So it is to happen. The bottom of page 84, if, even if you were baptized before salvation, you need to be baptized in accordance with Scripture after your salvation. Scripture clearly explains and clearly, clearly shows us salvation, then baptism, not the other way around. And not baptism in order to be saved. Salvation and baptism. On page 85. We're almost done, so hang in there, all right? The Christian who refuses to be baptized could be compared to a wife who refuses to accept her wedding ring. A Christian who refuses. This right here is the start to a relationship with Christ. Baptism is our start to a relationship with Christ. Why would we not want to get that start off right? Why would we not want to follow and obey Christ and what He told us to do? By pretty much saying we refuse baptism, and we're almost saying we are ashamed that we're a Christian. Do we want to start off a relationship with Jesus that way? Of being ashamed of the one who saved us from hell? Baptism is to be done. When a Christian, secondly here, when a Christian is not willing to be baptized, they are missing the blessing of committing themselves to Christ through obedience and losing the testimony they might have through public identification with Him. Losing the testimony they might have. James tells us, in James 4.17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Baptism is an exciting step of obedience. We should desire to do things the way God wants us to be baptized. As mentioned this morning, let me throw this out here. As mentioned this morning, in two weeks, there'll be another baptism service. Right now there's one young lady. Is that right? One young lady that's going to be baptized. If you'd like to be baptized, please come talk to somebody. Call the church office. In two weeks, there'll be another one. If you need to be baptized, take care of that. You understand it now. Here's the principles of it. Please take care of that. So here's what we know. Salvation is the greatest gift any person has ever been given. Satan is going to do everything that he can to confuse us, to question us, to make us doubt, to keep us from obeying. But we must uh, 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 keep our faith in what God has promised us. Some things to help us when Satan starts this confusion. Number one, settle in your own heart that salvation is forever. Cherish your salvation. Recall it to memory. You remember verses. But go back to that memory and bring it back up to Satan. You can, to help with this, you can share your testimony and your doubts with another Christian. Listen, Satan is a liar and he's really good at it. And he's deceptive and he is really good at it. So if that starts happening, you start talking about what Jesus did for you. 
He has to flee at the name of Jesus. He can't handle it. So you just start talking about what Jesus did for you. He'll run away. Something else that helps is publicly declaring your salvation by being baptized. Publicly declare it. It is, it is like cementing your own heart in truth that yes, this is a reality. It's for real. And it happened. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm holding on to it. And I'm never letting it go. Amen. Our salvation. Can we lose it? No. Can it be taken away? No. My emotions will sometimes get the best of me. But I'm saved. And I know it. And there ain't no one, nothing that can ever take it. And baptism is important for us to take our first steps to obeying Him. Our salvation. Now, next week, we're going to talk about developing a prayer life. Talking with God. Some practical things, some helpful things for our prayer life. So don't miss it. It's the next really good thing for us to understand about growing closer to our Lord. By now, you're developing uh, uh, habits on a daily basis of reading, of praying, and, and growing spiritually each and every day. Continue in it. Keep it up. We're not halfway done yet, but we're doing good. Amen? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. All right, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this day you've given us. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the assurances that you give us of salvation because we know the enemy wants to attack and he wants to confuse and he wants us to doubt. Lord, I pray that we would hold on to these truths, be assured of our salvation and the eternal life we have with you. Keep us safe as we go our separate ways. Help us to live for you and obey you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you very much. See you next week. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you.